Romans chapter 12, verse 17, and immediately thereafter, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel 24. Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now turn with me to 1 Samuel 24. Now bear with me. It is, it is appropriate to read this entire chapter. It's 21 verses, 22 verses, but so that we can have it fresh on our minds as to this narrative and what's happening in the life of David as it relates to the entire message here today. It's important for us to read all of it. I, won't, I will only reference it, but won't read it continuously throughout, but read it this one time. 1 Samuel 24 and 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I to do that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Pay close attention to these next several verses. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom was the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue, a dead dog, a flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge, 
and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. Last several verses here. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if I, a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. The title of the message here this afternoon, it is this, The Anointed Do Not Avenge. The Anointed Do Not Avenge. Would you pray with me, Lord? I thank you for your word which is anointed, which has power and might to transform Help us to be transformed by the Spirit of Christ here today. Let us not be conformed to the ways of this world and the spirit of this age and the God of this age who has blinded the sons of disobedience, but help us to be a peculiar people, a people who walk in mercy, a people who walk in love and kindness, a people who respond with hate, with love, a people who bless and do not curse, a people who commit all judgment into your hands and leave it up to you to commit what is due you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be resolved and surrender to your sovereignty, to your power, to your plan for our lives and for our families' lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The anointed do not avenge. Most of you know the background to this story with Saul and with David. As you all know, previously in the the book of 1 Samuel, Saul had been selected to be the first king of the people of Israel. Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like the rest of the nations around them, and they selected Saul. Saul was a man who looked like a king. He was head and shoulders above the rest of the population. He looked like a king. He sounded like a king. He had the strength of a king. He, met, he, he checked off all the boxes except that he was lacking integrity and character of heart and a true obedience and love for God. And for a while, Saul did okay, and he obeyed the word of the Lord, and he obeyed Samuel, who was the prophet, and he did what was right until it came to a point where he was instructed to completely and utterly destroy the Amalekites. And if you recall, he did destroy all the Amalekites, And he destroyed all of the good livestock, but he kept for himself and for his men the good livestock. And then he also preserved the life of King Agag. And when Samuel approached Saul, Saul was proud of himself. He was proud that he thought he had done what the Lord told him to do. And if you recall, Samuel said, what is is the bleeding of sheep I hear in the background? Well, I have these sheep to sacrifice to the Lord. And if we're very familiar with this scripture, it's, it's... Obedience is better than sacrifice, Samuel responded. It's better that you obey than that you preserve for yourself this booty, this, these livestock, so that you can, quote-unquote, 
devote or sacrifice unto the Lord. And it was that day, that day that Samuel told Saul, the kingdom of Israel will be torn from you. The kingdom of Israel will be torn from you because you have disobeyed God and you have sinned against the Lord. You did not stand in integrity and character and do what the Lord asked you to do. And Samuel departed from Saul and never came back to see Saul. And it was shortly thereafter that the Lord instructed Saul to go to the house of Jesse and to anoint a new king. And we all know the story of David. We all know that he was the least of his, his father's sons. He was still out in the field when, when, uh, Saul, or when Samuel came to anoint a son. He was the least expected, least likely amongst his, his family. They thought he was least likely. Samuel thought he was least likely. But God said, he is the one. He is the one that I have set apart to be the next king of Israel. He's going to take Saul's place. And on that day, he took out a horn of oil and he anointed David in the presence of his family. And you know what David did right after that? He went right back out to the sheep pasture and looked after the sheep. If you recall in what we just read, the time period from him being anointed till him having this discourse with, with Saul He's done some amazing things, and he still referred to himself as a flea. He referred to himself as a dead dog when talking to his father-in-law, Saul the king. And so it says, the day that David was anointed king, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and was with him. And simultaneously, the Spirit of the Lord was removed from the life of Saul, and it was replaced with the distressing spirit that the Lord sent upon Saul because of his disobedience, because of the nature of his heart and the condition of his heart, he spiraled out of control from there, didn't he? Completely spiraled out of control. And in this intermittent period, David is just being faithful to his father. He's being faithful to what's been committed to his hands and watching over the sheep. He knows what's happened. He knows he's been anointed by the Lord by, to be the next king. He still views himself as nothing, we know. And in the time being, in this intermittent period, we come up to the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. And everybody is scared. Everybody is frightened by this champion warrior of the Philistines, which is Goliath. And nobody will go up against this, this giant except David. And David says, what is, who is this man who is cursing the, 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 the people of God and cursing our God? Is there not a cause? Is, is there no one who's going to say, no, we're not going to stand for this? And he's this little, to his brothers, this little pesky kid who you're a nobody, just shut up. And he says, no, is there not a cause? The Lord helped me with the lion and the bear out in the wilderness. And the Lord who helped me slay the lion and the bear, he's going to help me slay this giant. The battle is the Lord's. It's not me. It's, it is the name of the Lord that we have to preserve, that we have to fight for. And this man is cursing our Lord, and I will not take it. And we all know he grabbed five smooth stones. He went out there with nothing but a staff and a sling. And in one swing, he took out the champion Goliath. And from there, the career of David escalated tremendously, didn't it? He became a rock star to the people of Israel. He became a rock star to the people of Israel. 
Saul already knew him because in the periods of time in which Saul would have this distressing spirit and, and this, this uh, depression come upon him, David was already in the palace playing a harp for Saul, wasn't he? He was playing the harp for Saul. In the purity of his heart, he knows, I'm anointed to take this man's place. This man, the spirit has been removed. There's a distressing spirit. I am here still serving him. He is still installed as the king of Israel. God has said that I will replace him, but God has not pulled him out of that place yet. So I'm going to do what the Lord has asked me to do. I've been faithful to my father. Now I'm going to be faithful to my king, and I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. And from there, after he defeated uh, Goliath, Saul would never let him go back to his father's house. He became a champion for Saul. He came out and went in. And the Bible says he was more wise than any other servant of Saul. He behaved very wisely. He behaved so wisely and with so much character and integrity that it made Saul very, very, very fearful. He was convicted of this righteous man's life. And then the, 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 the last straw that broke the camel's back was... When David was coming back from defeating the armies, the women began to sing a song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And up to this point, David, in the integrity of his heart and the purity of his heart, a man after God's own heart, he has faced adversity, hasn't he? He's faced the lion and the bear. He's faced sibling rivalry. He's faced Goliath. Up to this point, he's been going in and out as a general for Saul, and he has faced the Philistines, and he has, he has taken part in battle after battle, and he has faced real adversity that just comes with common circumstances of life. Every single one of us will face some sort of trial, adversity, challenge that is just common to all men. Every single one of us, you're going to face something. You're going to fa face financial hardship, maybe. You're going to face sickness. You're going to face disease. You're going to face death. You're going to face all kinds of things that you just didn't expect, but life just happens to you because we live in a fallen world. So adversity is common to all men. It's common to all men. And David had no lack of adversity up to this point. And he maintained his integrity. He maintained his character. He sat before Saul, the man he was, he was tapped to take the place of, and he served him. And he soothed this man's tortured soul because that's where God had him. He knew God would take care of him. And in God's timing, he would place him where he has been anointed to be placed. And so up to this point, he's faced a great deal of adversity. But nothing will compare to what he faces next. Nothing will compare to Goliath. Nothing will compare to the lion and the bear. What he's about to face next will not compare to the wars against the Philistines and the battles he took part in and the victories that he won. Because as David was coming in, as I alluded to, the people began to sing a song, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And from that day, Saul eyed David, the Bible says, and he was bitter and jealous and he sought to kill him. And from that day forward, Saul thought, how can I take this man out? And more than any adversity he had faced, now here's something he was facing. He'd done nothing. And now he was facing the injustice 
and vitriolic attacks of his own father-in-law. He was being unjustly persecuted. It's, it's bad enough when you face normal adversity in life, isn't it? But what if somebody is bringing against you railing accusations? What if someone is slandering your character? What if someone is spreading gossip about you? What if somebody is giving somebody else undue praise and giving you undue blame? What if somebody is persecuting and they hate you for absolutely no reason? What if your own father-in-law, he hates you, and twice he's already tried to throw a spear at you and peg you to the wall and you had to flee? At this point now, he's facing the greatest adversity he's ever faced. He's facing immense injustice, undue blame, vitriol, and hate for his own father-in-law, for his own father-in-law, to the point that he has to flee. And this is where we find 1 Samuel chapter 24, that now he and his men are hiding in the deep recesses of a cave, and they're hiding from Saul. I read in a commentary that this particular instance in 1 Samuel 24, this is the 15th time that Saul has attempted to capture David. He has been on the continual run. He has all these things being said about him, that he is evil, that he wants to destroy Saul, that, that he, is, he is not a man of God. He has this massive injustice. It's one thing for us to... Reap the consequences of bad behavior. But what about the consequences or the behavior exemplified towards us for something we never did? When someone accuses you of something. And here's, here's what I really am trying to get, here, get to here this morning. It matters how you respond to injustice. It matters how you respond to hate. It matters how you respond to reviling and hatred and slander, and gossip. And we're going to draw a few things from the life of David, so bear with me. But from the life of David, drawing from Romans 12 and from 1 Samuel chapter 24, there are two things that David did not do and one thing that he did. There are two things that David did not do and one thing that he did do. If you recall, in Romans 12, 17, it says, Do not repay evil for evil. And that's exactly what David did. He did not repay evil for evil. He is a man of war. He's a man of God. He's the greatest champion Israel has ever seen. And from the moment that Saul threw that first spear, he never retaliated, did he? He never retaliated back at Saul. He never touched a hair on Saul's head. Never did he try to retaliate in kind. He did not respond to Saul's evil with more Evil. Now listen, this does not mean that we ignore injustice. This does not mean that we ignore evil. It does not mean that we roll over and don't stand up for truth and unashamedly, uncompromisingly proclaim truth and righteousness. It doesn't mean that we're spineless, okay? It just means that we do not respond in kind. We, when we are hated, when we are mistreated, if it's at work, if it's at the home place, if it's at church, God forbid, if it's the spirit of the world, if it's the flesh, it is absolutely imperative in the command of the word of God that you do not respond in kind, that you do not repay evil with evil. 
evil with evil. How many of you, it's your first inclination. Somebody punches me, I'm punching you back. You say, a, you say a mean word to me, oh, I'm coming right back at you with my tongue. You want to you see what's mean? You just, you just ruffle my feathers and you're going to see what, how mean it can get. And we're easily provoked, whether it be at work or whether it be with our spouse, whatever it may be. And we, we respond in kind. We respond in kind. And so we are all tempted to do this. I remember me and Kimberly, we were on a vacation. I think we're going to Florida, maybe North Carolina. I can't remember. We we were driving along before kids, late at night. We pulled into a gas station. This might have been in Alabama, Mississippi. I don't know. And it's late at night, and we pulled in the gas station. It's probably 2 or 3 in the morning, and we are walking into the gas station. The car is getting filled with gas. I think Kimmy stayed in the car, and I'm walking up to the door of the gas station. And there's a, a younger couple behind me. They're, they're maybe a little bit older than I am. There's a guy and a woman walking behind me. And, and how many of you, you like to hold the door open for people? But, you know, there's this awkward distance where the person is just a little too far away for you to keep the door open. And it just becomes awkward for you just to stand there for like five minutes until they make it to the door. But you still want to be nice. You're like, do I do it or do I not do it? And you're just not sure. And then it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm dazed and confused. I need a Red Bull. That's why I'm going in. And I want to be nice. I'm always nice. These people don't know that I'm a Christian, that I'm a youth pastor, that I love people. I normally hold the door open for people. And I just so I made, I made the terrible choice not to hold the door open that morning. They're probably from here to the back wall. And, and I open it. I look back and I go in. And just as the door's closing, and I'm taking a few steps away, he opens the door and he goes, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for holding the door open. I responded, you must not know I'm from Texas. You know it took everything within me to say a lot of things. Who do you think you are? That's your girlfriend. You hope the door open for your girlfriend. I'm not your girlfriend's boyfriend. You are. <laughs> you do it. I'm not treating you like a lady. Out of nowhere, for no reason. It, it takes something just like that where you have to make the choice. Do I put on my boxing gloves or do I let it go? You're faced with choices like that, maybe on a daily basis. It could be something so small like that, but may seem small to some people. Or maybe something much bigger. But you have a choice. Will I respond with the same spirit? And you know what that spirit is? It's the spirit of the age. It's the spirit of the world. It's the flesh. And if it's a person who is not a Christian, their father is the devil. And I cannot respond in kind. What does the proverb say? A soft answer turns away wrath. Oh, you know how I responded? I'm sorry. He didn't say he was sorry back to me. But I had no unrest. My feathers weren't ruffled. I said, Holy Spirit, you got to help me. 
I got to get this Red Bull and get out of here. <laughs> got to get home. But you have a choice. Will you repay evil for evil? Will you run to Facebook and just fill it with all kinds of veiled messages? Right? Will you gossip in return? Will you spread gossip? Will you listen to gossip? Will you criticize and jump in with the criticism? Will you fight back? Will you curse back? It matters how you respond. Turn to Matthew 5.44 with me. Matthew 5, and it's on the screen too if you don't have your Bible. So Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that I will have, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies... One, bless those who curse you. Two, do good to those who hate you and pray for those, number four, those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Continue on. That you may be, here's the qualifier. Here's the qualifier. Why do I respond this way? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Because children of the devil, they respond, they give hate to hate. They give reviling for reviling. They give gossip for gossip. They give tooth for tooth, eye for eye. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? You love your kids who love you. You love your spouse who loves you. Don't pat yourself on the back, he's saying. For even the tax collectors do that. And if you... Greet your brethren only. And what do you do more than others? Do you not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You want to represent your Father. You want to be perfect, that is mature. Then you respond not with the spirit of the Antichrist. You respond with the spirit of Christ and all things. In Luke chapter 9 Jesus has, has put it within himself that he is now going to Jerusalem. He has set his face for Jerusalem, and he has to go through a Samaritan village. And he sends his disciples ahead of him to prepare the way. And because the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other, and because he was going to Jerusalem, they said, no, you can't pass through here. You can't pass through here. This is Luke chapter 9, around verse 54, 55. And James and John, how do they respond? They say, Jesus. Would you like us to call down fire from heaven just like Elijah did? Do you want us to respond in the same way that they have exhibited their vitriol to us? Do you want us to respond in kind? Tooth for tooth, eye for eye. 
Do you want us to call down fire that they might be destroyed? And what did Jesus say? He turned around and he rebuked them. And he said, you don't know what spirit you are of. That's not my spirit. That's not the spirit of God. That's not the spirit of the one who was anointed by the spirit of God. He says, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he went to another city. That is the spirit of the devil, to kill, steal, and destroy. To respond in kind. But listen, this world needs to see a peculiar people who when they are hated, they supernaturally respond with love. When they are persecuted, they bless. They don't call down fire. They call down blessing upon their enemies. They love in response to hate. They bless people in light of being used and persecuted and spitefully used. They respond with the Spirit of Christ. And if you want to confound people, if you want to humiliate people, if you want to confuse people, just smile and act like you love them because you do, and you will just send their brain into a crazy place. Why is this guy not fighting back at me? Why is he, why is he not uh, um, uh, turning, or why is he not punching back at me? Why is he not responding in kind? If you want to have a real impact on people at your place of employment at home, do not return evil for evil. So let me ask you this. What will you call down on your enemies? Now, as much as it's up to you, depends on you, he said in Romans, have peace with all men. Stephen Morgan has no enemies. But for anyone who would be antagonistic towards me, and I know it, what will I call down on them? Should I call down fire, slander, gossip? No. I will love them. I will bless them and not curse them. I will do good to those who hate me, and I will pray for those who spitefully use me and persecute me. That is what I will call down. That is how I will respond in the spirit of Christ. And number two, the second thing that David did do David did, or he did not do, I'm sorry. So number one, he did not repay evil for evil. And number two, David did not avenge himself when he had the chance. In the first instance, it's when the person, the accuser, the offender, they have the upper hand on you. And you're being attacked. You're being used. You're being abused. You're being talked about. Somebody hates you for absolutely no reason. And you're on the defense but eventually the tables will turn. And at some point, you will have the opportunity to have the upper hand on that individual. And will you take that opportunity to avenge your own self or leave it in the hands of God? And David said, I will not avenge myself because that is the Lord's task. That is his duty to do. So David did not avenge himself when he had the chance to. He was trying to be convinced, or his men were trying to convince him, the 400 men that he had with him, trying to tell him, surely this is the Lord giving you Saul into your hand. 
Surely, and then they came up with this false prophecy that's not in the word of God. This is the day that the Lord said he has delivered your enemy into your hand. And these 400 men, you know who these 400 men were? These men, the Bible says, when David left the, 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 the presence of Saul and men were gathered unto David, it said, it was men who were distressed, in debt, and discontented. They were bitter of soul. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you're convinced of. Be careful who you lend your ear to. You're going to let them talk to you like that? Fight back. Get them. And that's what his 400 men were telling him. Good men. Bad motives. They were sincere but wrong. And they said, this is the day the Lord has given your enemy into your hand. And David did not listen to them, but he did go and tear off and cut off a corner of Saul's garment. So let me ask you this. How will you respond when the tables are turned and you do have an opportunity to avenge yourself? To belittle that person who's belittled you for so long. When you have the opportunity to embarrass this person. You have the opportunity to one-up them. What may seem as an opportunity in the, by the world's standards to swiftly avenge yourself with vindictive wrath, that instance is actually the Lord providing you an opportunity to exhibit God's nature, his mercy and his grace to that individual. If the Lord has ever allowed a Saul into your cave, it's not so that you could avenge yourself, it's so that you could exhibit the nature of God in that situation. Where the world says, put your foot on their neck and finish them. God says, show mercy, show grace. Show love because I want to exhibit my nature to this individual. It is not an opportunity for you to get even. It is an opportunity for you to exhibit the nature of Jesus Christ, to exhibit a different spirit that is not of this world, not of this age, that is supernatural, that in your own power you cannot love the unlovely. You cannot love those who hate you. You cannot bless those who use you and try to take advantage of you. That is impossible by the power of the flesh, but by the Spirit of Christ you can. That's a person who's mature in the Lord. That's a person who is perfect, who can walk in the fruit of the Spirit, who can, who can hear criticism and just smile and say, I love them, I'm going to pray for them. The people, the names that should be brought up in your prayer, just as much as your own family, are the people who don't like you, the people who use you. You should be mentioning their very names in your prayers as much as you mention your spouse and your children. Pray for your enemies. And just when it looks like you have an opportunity to finish them off and avenge yourself, it's actually an opportunity for you to pour out grace and mercy so that in doing so, in doing so, you shall heap coals upon their head. What does that mean? Romans chapter 12. Feed your enemies. Give drink 
if they're thirsty. For in doing so, you will heap coals upon their head. There's an ancient Egyptian custom that this is derived from. And for an individual who was penitent, who had done something wrong and they were ashamed of their actions, they would take a bowl of hot coals, put it upon their head, and walk through the streets of the city. And the coals were to represent the fiery shame and guilt that they had felt for their actions. And they were exhibiting a penitent heart. They were exhibiting, they were putting on, on before everyone that I am penitent and my shame and my guilt are before me and I'm sorry. It's, it's a place of humility. It, it's, a, it's a place of, of prostration before the Lord. And he's saying, you, you have an opportunity to reconcile a person to Jesus Christ by you walking in the spirit of Christ because when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in, in return. When he was mistreated, he did not respond in kind. He did not do what so many did to him. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Two twenty. It's on the screen. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. The two things that David did not do, he did not respond in kind. He did not repay evil for evil. The second thing he did not do, he did not avenge himself when he had the chance. But the third thing that he did do, he entrusted himself to God's judgment. And that's exactly what Jesus did. It says, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Will not the judge of the earth do right? My judgment is skewed and fallible and imperfect. At the end of David's life, when he had made a, a grave mistake and the Lord was going to give him a consequence, he says, pick one of these three. Do you want the affliction of men or the affliction of the Lord? He said, any day I'll take the affliction of the Lord because you're more merciful than men would be. And what he is saying, I will entrust the injustice, how I've been taken advantage of. I will entrust that God is sovereign, that he is righteous, that he loves justice, that he loves truth, and that you do reap what you sow, both here and now. But ultimately, ultimately, I must give way for the wrath of God because the wrath of God is not to be in my hand, it's to be in his hand. And ultimately, the one who is not in Christ will reap what they sow 
And they will reap the wrath of God ultimately in the end. And he is saying, you leave that in God's hands. You let God deal with that. You're not judge and jury. You are one who is simply here to exhibit the nature of Christ, present a standard of truth, righteousness, and holiness, and present, present a testimony of my name before every person you walk before. I want you to exhibit my nature. And in doing that, in committing himself to the Lord and God's righteous judgment, David doing that, he heaped coals upon Saul's head. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 24 that Samuel or that Saul cried out and he wept. And temporarily he, he humbled himself, didn't he? Temporarily, we know that he vacillated and went back and forth and would repent and then he would go right back to, to running after David and trying to kill him. But in that moment, I think he was sincerely humiliated and he realized that, David, you are a more righteous man than I am. And I know for sure that the kingdom will be given into your hand. Would you please not cut off my descendants? And in that moment, temporarily, coals were heaped upon Saul's head. And he was repenting and he was humiliated and he had humbled himself. It was on display for all to see because David did not respond in kind, because David did not avenge himself, but he committed it unto the Lord and said, I know I'm God's anointed, but God's anointed do not avenge. God's children do not respond in the same spirit of this age. Though Saul is, quote unquote, the anointed in that he still holds the position of king, he truly is not the anointed by God. His spirit has been removed from Saul. The spirit of God is upon me. And now I will not do what God, when it's God's job to remove. I will not remove Saul. It's God's job to do that. I'm going to leave it in the hands of God. He's going to take care of this problem. He's going to take care of this issue. He's going to vindicate me. And I will not defend myself. I will not speak for myself. I will not go and pick up a sword and respond in kind. Because he who lives by the sword will what? Die by the sword. When the guards came to pick up Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, guards with clubs and with spears and with swords, Jesus said, why do you come with all this? As, you, as if you come for a criminal. And Peter took out his sword and he swiped at the servant Malchus and cut off his ear. And, and Jesus rebuked him, reprimanded him and said, put that away and never pull it out again because if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. Would you come help me, Steve? The intended goal with your life, with your adversity, with the persecution, the reviling that you experience is that you, that your life would be just as the life of Jesus and that you take suffering with patience and endurance because you are not your own. You're not here to preserve your own interest. You're not here to preserve your own name. You're here to make the name of Jesus great. And if he can use your life and he can use your circumstances and he can use your trials and your adversity to exalt his name and to heap coals upon people's lives so that they may see the mercy and the long-suffering and the grace and mercy of God that they may come to know the same Lord that you know, then so be it. So be it. I hope you come to bow down before my Lord and Savior. Because at the end of it all, every single person will bow down. Every person will be humbled and every person will bow down to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The question is, will you do it on this side of eternity 
or the other side of eternity. On this side of eternity, you have an option. You have a choice. You can humble yourself. You can put those, that bowl of coals upon your head and walk and say, I'm guilty. I need grace and mercy. And I have seen it exhibited in the children of God. They look like their father. Or when it's all said and done, God's wrath truly will be poured out. All justice will be exacted perfectly and righteously and wholly. And every person will be forced to bow down to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But I want through my life, through me, through me being crucified, through me being stoned, to exhibit the nature of Jesus Christ. Listen, I'd rather be the accused than the accuser. I'd rather be the one who's being persecuted than the one who's persecuting. I'd rather be the doormat than the boots who are trotting underfoot others. I'd rather be the one who's being stoned rather than the one who has a stone in my hand. I'd rather be crucified than the one with a hammer and nail in my hand. I'd rather be on that end because that end is where the Spirit of Christ will lead me. And I will respond. I will respond. Not repaying evil for evil, but I will call down blessing. I will call down mercy. I will call down love so that in some way, somebody might see Jesus through my life and they might be saved. It matters how you respond because the anointed do not avenge themselves. The child of God, the child of God must look like their father. No more excuses for our flesh. No more excuses for that's just how I am. No more excuses for sin. No more excuses for slander and gossip. No more excuses for criticism. No more excuses eye for eye and tooth for tooth. No. I'll be a doormat. Do me wrong. Because I want to be identified with my Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me?